rotten motherfucker. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Muscle Hamas Podcast. I'm your host, Damon Damien. All right, buddies. Today's episode, we bring you probably what is most definitely the most special episode yet of the Muscle Hamas Podcast. Now, friends, I've been very fortunate enough for the last uh, eight weeks, two months, whatever, to work with the wonderful ladies behind the publicity department of Denver Comic Con. Thank you, Amy and Allison. I just got to get that out there really quick and really first. Um, it was a wonderful weekend we got a ton of killer interviews and just to start this thing off i'm just going to rattle off a few names of the people that we have on today's show uh we've got steve weeby steve weeby of course is uh the star of the documentary the king of kong about uh one man's quest well two man's quest to uh break the donkey kong world record we talked to him for about a minute and a half it's really short and sweet uh then we have uh we talked to the actors from like the series and then I, we go on to interview Thomas Zaylor of Love and Capes and also My Little Pony's uh, uh, miniseries. Uh, I forget the name off the top of my head. I should have that written down. We got Sean Tiffany based out of Boulder and his oil can drive. We have my favorite comic book hero of all time, Mr. Matt Wagner. He created probably one of my favorite comic books, Mage, uh, as well as uh, the wonderful Grindle series. Not only that, do we, we have Noah Van Skyver. Returning, He was one of the first guests ever on this podcast. And uh, we talk about his uh, runaway success with his graphic novel, The Hypo. We talk about his new book, The Blamo. Well, it's Blamo number eight, not The Blamo. And then we talk about him appearing on the cover of uh, last week's Westward. Uh, then it goes on to talk to Zach Kinsella and Nick Salmon, creators of Midspace, uh, another Denver comic book. Uh, the Zach Kinsella is also... Um, the guy responsible for the wonderful, mostly harmless logo with the koala bear with dynamite in his teeth. He's become a good buddy of mine over the years over the internet. This is only uh, my second time ever seeing him in real life is this weekend. Uh, then we go on to talk to Ensign Travis Mayweather of Star Trek Enterprise, the prequel series. You know, the one that starred Scott Bakula. We talked to Ensign Travis Mayweather, a.k.a. Anthony Montgomery. That's his real name. We talked to him real quick about his comic book, Miles Away. And then uh, we talked to uh, another Denver native who's now living in New York City, uh, Miss Amy Reeder, who I was just blown away. I didn't know anything about her. I walked by her booth and saw, like, this amazing art and went, I've got to talk to her. And let's be honest, for those of you who are... Uh, listeners of the show you know i have a thing for uh redheaded women and her red hair knocked me off my feet and then we also talked to jim mafood uh, i think i said that right uh he just recently did tank girl for titan comics and then as well as uh he did uh the clerks comic book a few years back with kevin smith so we have all that and then guess what we have an excerpt from the guild panel that i got to sit in on and uh well i didn't get to moderate it which hopefully next year we'll get to moderate some panels. I did get to get up and ask a question of Felicia Day and the crew of the Guild, and then uh, they answered it, and it's a pretty, it's pretty, pretty awesome. Like I'm pretty blown away because Felicia Day, I'm madly in love with, beautiful redheaded woman as well, and uh, she commented on my big huge beard, which I just trimmed yesterday. And then uh, also the very end of this episode, we bring you my audio of William Shatner. That's right, Captain Kirk himself reading Where the Wild Things Are to a group of 50 pretty bored-looking little kids and their very, 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 very excited parents. That's all on this week's episode. How can we top that? Like, I don't think I can ever top that. Uh, so many of you are going like, Damien, 
Denver Comic Con. It had Will Wheaton and then Felicia Day, and it had J. August Richards from Angel, and it had and it had George Takai and William Shatner. Where are the interviews with those guys? Well, unfortunately, we're a smaller outfit here at Most of the Homeless. I mean, it's just me, myself, a tape recorder, and all the voices in my head. Uh, I had actually been on tour for the last month with a little uh, punk country band out of Fort Collins, Colorado called Arliss Nancy. They sound a lot like Lucero, for those of you who know who Lucero sounds like. Uh, kind of like a more raw, uh, just punk rock country band. I don't know. Go check them out. Arliss Nancy. Uh, we, I'd been on tour with them for the last month as their tour manager, touring the country. And I thought to myself, oh, man, I've got a whole month on the road. I'll do tons of research on all these guys and all these things. I'll get all these interviews set up. Well, for those of you who have ever toured with a band, uh, or ever just been on these long, crazy road trips, you know that you're drinking like crazy every single night uh, if you're not the one who's staying up driving, which I often did. And then when you're in between cities, when you got an eight-hour drive from you know Kansas City to Memphis or wherever we went after Kansas City, uh, you don't have Wi-Fi. There's not a lot of not a lot of chances to get on the internet and do the research you want to do. Uh, so there are a lot of heavy name hitters that were there that I didn't feel comfortable with um, just showing up and just rambling on and asking my very generic questions. That's not to say that the group of guests that we have on the today's show aren't worthy. These are very wonderful people. They're on here for a purpose. These people, I walked by their booths and inspected their stuff. If I didn't know them already and looked at their stuff and said, hey, I like what you're doing, let's talk. Now, one of the, one of the biggest uh, snafus that I ran into this weekend was myself, um, my own self doubt. Uh, what happened on Friday is we walk in, we get we get in the uh, convention center about an hour before doors open, and we get a get my bearings, and I'm walking around, and I'm meeting people, I'm passing out flyers, I'm like, hey, most homeless podcast, most homeless podcast, most homeless podcast, let's do some interviews. I met a lot of wonderful people, and a lot of people were like, yes, absolutely, find me sometime this weekend. Let's set set up a time. Let's do it. Well, Friday goes on, goes along, and it was a wonderful, fantastic time. I met a ton of great people. Uh, again, I'm, I'm going to say that over and over and over again. ton of great people. Uh, then Saturday rolls along. Well, Friday night rolls along, and I go to Three Kings Tavern to see uh, my one of my dearest friends, Mr. Michael Dean Dameron, play an amazing acoustic uh, show. He's kind of like a anti-country singer, kind of along the lines of southern rock and roll, but with a lot more anger to it. Uh, he played a Three Kings Tavern that night and blew us all the way, and of course there was tons of libations. So of course I'm not doing research that night for, on the people I've met that day. Saturday rolls around, and the comic book convention is crazy! You gotta understand, friends, Denver Comic Con is the largest growing comic convention in America. They blew the doors off their expectations. Uh, it was crazy. It was out of control and a wonderful experience. But Saturday, the place is packed, wall-to-wall, jam-packed people. So I, I opened up my little book. And by the way, I'm actually in the Denver Comic-Con uh, book. You turn to the second-to-last page. It says, Podcast Speak. It says, Mostly Hummus Podcast. How fucking great is that? Um, so I open up this uh, my con guide, and I look, and I see that Will Wheaton's doing a panel at 3.30. And then the guild's doing a panel at uh, like 4.30. So I go and I stand in line, I stand in line, I stand in line, and I find out that my media press pass, I didn't have to stand in line at all. But I still got second row, uh, second row stage left seating. I was a good 20 feet away from one of my childhood heroes, Mr. Will Wheaton. Uh, unfortunately, with a lot of these comic co- conventions, you have to pay to get an autograph, you got to pay to meet the people. Uh, I had just gotten home from tour. I hadn't even been home yet. I'd been crashing on my good buddy Devin Rombo's couch in Denver. So I'm still wearing dirty clothes from tour. I probably smell, I look bad. Um, 
don't have any money because, well, I haven't been home, haven't worked in a month. So I did not get to go through and meet people like Will Wheaton or Felicia Day through their lines and get autographs because 30 bucks a pop when you only have 40 bucks in your pocket. Well, needless to say, we don't do that. So I go sit through the Will Wheaton panel. I did not ask a question, but it was a wonderful time. Uh, and then I get to sit fourth row for the guild. I let the VIP people, the people actually paid for their passes, get the good seats. And I sat fourth row directly in front of Felicia Day. And absolutely, I stared at her the old t- whole time. I know it's creepy, but when am I ever going to get a chance to do this again? And plus, that's what she's, I don't, I don't know. Eh, I'm not going to ejectify her or whatever. But And then I felt really weird and awkward because I'm a weird and awkward dude. So I'm not, I don't know. Anyway, anyway, friends, I got to get up and ask them a question, as we talked about earlier in the in the uh, this super long intro, and I apologize if you're listening to the whole thing. Thank you for listening to it. You can always skip ahead. So, get to talk, to, get to ask Felicia Day a question. She commented on my beard. That's going to be on at the very end of the episode. And then after this convention, after this panel, the convention's kind of closing down, shutting down. So once again, second day down, no interviews done. Sunday, I walk in there with a... M- oh, and then Saturday night, I, of course, go out drinking with my good buddy Joel and did not get any research done. Sunday rolls around. I managed to squeeze out a few microns of research on a few of these fine individuals. But here's what sucks, is most Sundays suck for comic book conventions. That is not the case with Denver Comic Con. It was still explosive and still huge and still big. But you've got a lot of the bigger name comic book people who are leaving. Like people like Peter Beige, who... Uh, I believe it's beige, B-A-G-G-E-E, or B-A-G-G-E. Anyway, it's um, the creator of the comic book, Hate. He had agreed to talk to me. Disappeared. He was gone. Ca- caught his flight. Um, there's a ton of other people whose names, I, I mean, I'm, it, the names are all just clashing and crashing around in my head. There's a lot of people I'd met that I really wanted to interview that disappeared uh, before 4 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. That's just the way it works. But that's, I'm not bitching, I'm not complaining, because the people I did sit down and talk to on this Sunday are wonderfully awesome people. Thank you guys for taking time out of your day. Um, I did wander around the convention for a good hour and a half just trying to get my bearings and just trying to get up the courage to walk up to the first person. And what what happened? Well, Mr. Steve Wiebe, it, it appears, was about to hit the kill screen on Donkey Kong. Now, if you've seen the documentary King of Kong, it's a wonderful, weird documentary. Um, and I say weird in the... Uh, the most pleasant way I can. It's a very offbeat. Um, just it's it's just a weird little different kind of documentary. It's about Steve Wiebe, who's a, uh, a software developer who gets laid off and decides uh, he can't find a job. He's on unemployment. Builds a Donkey Kong machine in his garage and then goes. It goes and sets the world record for Donkey Kong. Now there's the at the time the current. Uh, reigning champ of Donkey Kong world records, Steve, no, uh, Billy Mitchell, who owns a hot sauce company, decides. And it's basically a conspiracy theory, uh, good versus evil documentary about Donkey Kong. But it's not necessarily about Donkey Kong. It's about the human spirit and conquering all and winning and, you know, whatnot. It's a fantastic documentary. So I hear over the loudspeaker, Steve Weeby's about to hit the kill screen on Donkey Kong. Whoa! And of course, oh my God, I rush over there and I get to see it happen in person. And then Billy Mitchell apparently called Steve Wiebe, uh, but he couldn't hear it over the phone. And I, I'm sitting there and I'm like, God, I haven't done an interview yet. And I'm like, you know what? When 
when am I ever going to get a chance to stalk, stalk, stalk and talk to Steve Wiebe? I walk right up to him and I say, hey, Steve, I'm, well, you're about to hear that here in a minute. That's going to be the very first interview. And uh, unfortunately, that's the only one that doesn't go, hey, I'm here at Denver Comic Con with Steve Wiebe. Uh, so we, we'll hear that here in a minute. And then that broke that broke my doubt, my doubt streak. And I went through and I interviewed all these wonderful, fine people that are going to be on today's show. Uh, so mostly this podcast is a uh, music podcast. Uh, we interview a lot of musicians. If you're new to the show, please go check out our website, mostlyharmlesspodcast.com. Oh, and by the way, we're going to have all the links to all the uh, artists, all these uh, creators, all on the Mostly Harmless Podcast webpage. So please go check out mostlyharmlesspodcast.com. Or if you're lazy like me, just type in mhpod.com, and it'll take you right to the webpage. Uh, please check it out. Please like us on Facebook. Please leave me an iTunes review. Uh, do what you can to help promote the show and help us. Uh, land bigger guests um, so normally we uh, interview a lot of musicians so I open up every episode with a song uh, this week we're very fortunate enough that Sean Tiffany the creator of the book Oil Can Drive is also in a band uh, it turns out that Oil Can Drive is also a band so it's a comic book and a band all at the same time How, does that blow your mind it kind of blows mine I don't know not really uh, so we're going to open up today's episode with uh, the out of my mind track from the Breaking the Border EP from Oil Can Drive, Mr. Sean Tiffany's band. And then we're just going to let everything flow, buddy. So we're just going to let, let all the interviews go and go as they need to. I believe I inter- introduce everybody uh, at the beginning of every interview, uh, except for Mr. Steve Wiebe, of course. I neglected to uh, introduce him for whatever damn reason. So uh, please take a listen. Tell us what you think. MostlyHarmlessPodcast.com. Here we go with Oil Can's Drive. Oil Can Drive's out of my mind from the Breaking the Border EP. Everybody needs a place Somewhere they can figure out How to run the human race Find out what it's all about but I don't know what to do To get myself away from you And I don't know what to say To make me want to scream and shout Whoa You're out of your mind Quiet now, a knocking at the windowsill calls me out into the wild. But I don't know what to do to keep myself away from you. Your false is such a sweet caress, but like a mother to a child.
judgment day And your heart is filled with doubt Falling on your knees to pray Your finger on the then and now Live voices in your brain Slowly driving you insane Screaming deep into the night When you feel your memories go Uh, can I get a quick word from my uh, podcast real quick? Yeah. I don't know how quick you're trying to get out of here. I got to get to an airport, but I'm, I have time. Yeah, okay. Sure. Uh, I was going to say, how uh, how crazy is it to, like, with the crowds and everything, to beat the game in front of everybody? Even though I've done it a several times, times? It's, yeah. it's still, every time I do it, it's, like, amazing feeling. Yeah, so I wanted to come through for the crowd, and I did. I was really happy, and the support at the end was really great. So oh, yeah. Um, enjoyed it. What can we expect for the Kong Off 3? It's going to be a dogfight again. There's top players. There's about anybody in the field can win. So it's just going to come down to whoever has the best uh, luck and skill on that given weekend. So Nice. Well, I'm excited for it. Is there going to be a follow-up to the King of Kong? Uh, I don't know if there's... Well, there's this documentary that Richie Knuckles is doing called The King of Arcade. So that's not essentially a following my story, but it's about his um, involvement in the arcade movement and... Some, there's a little bit of footage from these Kong off events that I'll be in. Nice. Is yeah. there a Kickstarter for that? Is that the Kickstarter? Yeah, there is right a now? Kickstarter for that. And everybody should go Kickstarter that yeah. right now. Yep, cool. exactly. Go right. get there and Kickstart it. Cool. Well, thanks for talking to me real you quick, bet. Steve. Okay, so um, I'm sitting here at the Light the Series booth talking to one of the actors from the show. Uh, who, uh, I, for, I didn't get, catch your name. What was it? Matt Mybauer. Yeah, and, and you're an actor on the show. What character do you play? I play Hanson, one of the detectives who does not have superpowers. Ooh, fancy. You look kind of like a cop. What do you do in real life? I'm actually in sales. In sales, huh? Yeah, you don't. You seem very intimidating. I would buy something from you. <laughs> um, so tell me a little bit about Light. What is it? Yeah, absolutely. Light is a uh, homegrown project here in Colorado. Um, it's a web series upcoming about a young girl who discovers she has superpowers. Mm-hmm. And then there's kind of an ensuing battle between good and evil to convince her to come to one side or the other. And uh, we have 18 episodes written. We have our lovely promo trailer here filmed and ready to go. We're going to start filming in fall and hopefully have stuff up on YouTube by the new year. Nice. Is there a Kickstarter program or anything for that, trying to raise funds, or no? Yeah, we, we did Kickstarter, didn't we? What? Um, we're doing a uh, podcast here. This is yeah, this is a little interview. Who are we talking to? Uh, I play, I'm Daniel Castine. I play Epic in the series. Cool. And uh, so, have you guys done a Kickstarter, or is it just, you going to fund it on your own? How do, you, how do you get the money for this? Right now, it's been largely funded by the creator and director, Eddie Collins. We started a Kickstarter. Um, it didn't reach its goal. Right. So, we're, again, we're here just trying to generate some buzz. And hopefully re-kickstart and get us up to that level yeah. we need to be at. Cool. Uh, and where can people find the trailer and whatnot? Uh, yeah, absolutely. If you go on Facebook and you type in Light the Series, you can find us. You can like us on there. You can see our promo, um, our trailer. You can see our promo photos that we've done. And um, if you have something to contribute, like if you're an artist, uh, if, you, if you do something on the film side of things, it's really a collaborative project where we're trying to get more people involved 
again from a grassroots level. Nice. Um, cool. Uh, how can I get a part on the show? Who do I have to talk to? Who do I have to go hobnob with? You're in right now, dude. Oh, sweet. We're being filmed right now. This is live on set, uh, episode 13. <laughs> Great. Well, cool, guys. Well, thanks for talking with me real quick. Absolutely. What's fun? Uh, Damien. Damien, thanks so much. All right, so I'm at the Denver Comic-Con hanging out with Thomas Zoller. He's uh, the creator of Love and Capes, and you work on uh, My Little Pony, too, right? I did, yes. I wrote and drew the Twilight Sparkle issue. Nice. Um, so how did you get started in comic books? Very generalized question, but how did you get started drawing and illustrating? I was dropped on my head a lot when I was a kid. Oh, me too. And, and that probably helped. It had a head around shopping cart. Uh, I've just always wanted to do comics. My parents used them as a reward system. And my family always drew in one capacity or another, so it just was a natural progression. I can't honestly remember not wanting to do this. <laughs> um, was there ever a moment, like, I know as a little kid for me, like, I had crayons, and I would do these huge, what I thought were masterpieces on the walls. Did you do anything like that as a child? No, I do that now, though. Uh, <laughs> really? I, have, I have shower crayons, because I figured nice. I started getting ideas in the shower, so you might as well, you know, I'm obsessed with idea capture, so I write them down while I'm in there. Nice. Uh, how many cons do you attend out of the year? Uh, feels like all of them. All of them? Uh, somewhere between 12 and 15. 12 and 15? What was your very first one that you ever went to? Uh, the first big one I went to was Chicago Comic Con back in the 90s, when that was like the number two show for, for industry people. And I started doing that in San Diego and spreading out from there. Cool. Um, what was it like, that first experience of seeing like this? I'm sure like in the 90s it wasn't this many massive droves of people but what is it like to experience this day in and day out for you you know uh being at a show when you've got a table is like being on a first date for four days mm -hmm. you have to be very positive and make eye contact and not creep people out i mean you're just trying to be up and personable and i love doing it, it i couldn't do it for anything i didn't believe in i'm i'm a big believer in my book and i like promoting it and it's the only reason i keep keep the schedule i do nice uh, to, uh most of these people probably aren't comic book readers that are sure. listening. Uh, what is Love and Capes? What is that about? Love and Capes is a superhero romantic comedy. It's about a superhero who says, I love my girlfriend. I'm going to tell her that. If I tell her that, i got to tell her everything. So is there ever a good time to let your girlfriend know you have x-ray vision? What does she want for Christmas when she knows you can crush coal into diamonds? Right. Things like that. <laughs> Things like that. Yeah. Um, so where, where does this idea spawn from? Is it based on your own personal experience? Did you want to tell your girlfriend you love her and Oh, by the way, yes, I'm I'm actually a superhero. Thanks yeah. for spoiling that. Um, no, it came about because I, I was working on another book and I wanted to do something funny. I wanted to do something cartoony, and I had that uh, chocolate and peanut butter moment where I said, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of humor to be mined out of an actual superhero relationship. The book's not a parody per se. It's not like the Tick where things are over the top. It's it's a couple having an actual, honest to God, real relationship. But there's it's very interesting to me, like what. In the, in the Superman books, when Lois and Clark got engaged, they got engaged, and then six months later, he revealed his identity. And I'm like, how do you do that? How do you say, I love you and I want to be with you the rest of your life, and oh, by the way, so there's this thing I didn't tell you, and I'm a crime fighter. Uh, I think it's really interesting when you get to the point where you realize you're going to be that honest with the person. Right. And, and that's kind of what it's... It spawned from what if the Superman relationship was written the way that I would write it. Cool. Um, now, My Little Pony, like, I, I wasn't aware of it till just recently, but it's huge. It's huge. It's gigantic. It's like which, the, is, which is incredible, because they're little ponies. Right, exactly. Um, I, how did that gig come about, and what, what kind of reception has it brought you? Um, I, my book, Love and Capes, is published through IDW now, and 
my fiance is a big fan of My Little Pony. And last year at Comic-Con, uh, IDW announced that they're doing My Little Pony books. So I went up and I said, I would, yeah, you do a bunch of variant covers, I'd love to do one. Uh, it's not going to hurt me to you know, do a pony book. Uh, my girlfriend will appreciate it. And um, that turned into, do you want to pitch the book? And then I, I sent a bunch of pitches, one of them got accepted, and I started doing, doing ponies. Uh, the reception's been pretty good. The only problem I had is that the writers on the regular title, Katie Cook and uh, artist Andy Price and even Heather Newfer and um, uh, Amy Memerson set such a high bar yeah. that you know, I was wa- reading the first couple issues of the book going, oh, I have to up my game. Yeah. So I, I think I did. I, I think I hold my own. How many little kids have walked by and just been so excited to see it? A ton. A yeah. ton. I mean, I, I keep hearing about the brony culture, and that's cool. I, yeah. I, but... It's so great to have little kids come up to the booth and you know little girls come up to the booth and just be interested and amazed and yeah. you know we have to foster another generation of comic book readers. It's yeah. Uh, now is loving capes kid friendly or now? It's kid friendly. There's no sex, no violence, no nudity. There are a couple double entendres, but I always tell parents that if your kids get it, that's not my fault. It's ultimately a relationship comedy. So every once in a while, I have someone say, "Oh, I'm going to give it to my seven-year-old son." I'm like, seven-year-old. Seven-year-old kids love relationship stories. Yeah. Uh, seven-year-old boys. So it, my goddaughter reads it, and I'm always very conscious of the fact that I want it to be accessible. It's nothing that you can put on at 8 o'clock on TV, but the interesting stuff to me comes from the plot and the characters and not from what you can get away with. Nice. Um, do you have little kids who, and their parents come up, they see the pony stuff, do they, the parents walk away with the uh, Love and Capes? Does that happen yeah, a lot? There, there's yeah. a lot of transfer. The pony pony pieces are really good. Uh, they're like stop sign for people. It, cool. it draws people over and it's getting my work exposed to a bunch of new people, which is just fantastic. What's the best way to sell yourself at a con like this? I know when I walked up to the table, you opened up the book and started telling me all about it. It was uh, awesome, but what, what, what works best for you? The thing that works best for me, first principle, is make eye contact. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't pressure them. Don't hit the sale until... They actually engage with you. I've got my what they call the elevator pitch down. I, you know, the whole love and capes superhero romantic comedy bit. I've been saying that for four years, and I can do that in my sleep. It also <laughs> means that I'm really practiced, and I don't stumble over it, and that helps a lot. Actually, putting the book in their hands seems to help mm-hmm. because then they make a physical connection with it. But honestly, it really is like dating, where you're trying to approach somebody and not be creepy or too overbearing or too desperate or That's anything like that. I, and you said it was your girlfriend that likes My Little Pony or wife? My fiance. Fiance, okay. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure, how long have you guys been together? Uh, about two years. Okay, so you had already been practiced at the cons, the single dating, speed dating thing. Did that help on your first date? Um, no, I, you know, I didn't do the speed dating. Oh, uh, well, I'm not saying it's, I'm saying this is speed dating. Oh. like Because you see a hundred different people. So yeah, does it, it help like when you went out on those first few dates to already have this down, this kind of like, hey, I'm selling myself thing? A little bit. There's yeah. theoretical and practical, and <laughs> you know, no, what do they say, no uh, battle plan, surprise contact with the enemy. Um, so, I mean, it's very much when you're when you're engaging with anyone, you need to pick up on cues and, and react to how they are. Okay. Uh, so, the I don't write my relationship into love and capes because I enjoy having my relationship. <laughs> uh, I've based some of the stuff on stuff that I've had in previous relationships. I have a convertible and I have a girlfriend, had a girlfriend, who uh, really hated it. And that translated into the girlfriend hating her hair getting messed up when she was flying around at super speed. 
Um, just little things like that. But nice. I also don't want to be mean and too on point. And I, I don't want anyone to think I'm writing the book, you know, angrily. So. And uh, where can people can find this through IDW now? You can find it through IDW. It's available on Comixology, and you can always go to loveandcapes.com. That's L-O-V-E-A-N-D-C-A-P-E-S.com. And I'll throw those links on the website. Excellent. Cool. Thank you. Uh, anything else you want to throw out there real quick to the, the World Wide Web uh, listening audience? You know, just uh, thank you to everyone who's reading the book. Uh, cool. It's a great bridge book. I get a lot of people who say, I've never read comics before, my girlfriend's never read comics before, but this is the one that got them hooked in. So, Great. give it a try. Well, cool. Well, thanks for talking with me today. Cool, thank you. I'll, I'll stop back by later. Thank you. So, hey, I'm sitting at the uh, oil can drive booth. I had to make sure I get that right because I'm talking to so many people today. I, I did already screw up one person's name in the booth, so I'll have to edit that out. Um, so who am I sitting here with? This is Sean Tiffany, the creator of Oil Can Drive. Nice. Are you also the illustrator too? Illustrator, do you do everything? It, illustrate it, do the music for it, do everything. Yeah, that's crazy. You do a comic book and music to go yeah. along with it. Well, I started the band, started as a comic book. I like the idea of why are people together in a situation? And I came up with all the characters and I said, why are they together? And being in a band seemed the easiest way to why you stick together. Yeah. And the music came later. It was really fun. I really enjoyed doing the music. I didn't think I would do music. I didn't play music as a kid. Didn't start playing until I was about 30. And absolutely fell in love with doing music. So, what, what, do you, what do you do in the musical realm? Everything? Um, everything. I, everything play, I started with guitar. Started knowing about three chords. Learned more. So now guitar, bass, drums, sing. Little piano, little harmonica. Learning recording techniques. Nice. So you're some kind of prodigy when it comes to this stuff, I don't huh? know about that. I just do what's in my head and try and get it out. Gotcha. But I love that we're living in an age where you can really, if you want to do anything, an album, music, a movie, a book, you can do it and there's places to put it. Right. So I really love that we're living in that age where if you can think it up and do it, you can do it. Nice. Um, I, I'd like to talk a little bit about how people started with their craft. Okay. Um, when was the first time you remember holding a pen or crayon or marker? My mom says I came out of the womb holding the pen and yeah. always drew, was always creative, and fell in love with cartoons when I was young and then comic books when I was about 12. And once I found comics, I really wanted to do that. I love telling stories that way. What was the first comic? Do you remember? Uh, Amazing Spider-Man. Nice. One with a black cat, one of the early Ramita Jr. ones with a black cat. Nice. Um, was about 82, 83. Yeah. And when did you start actually like drawing comics yourself? Drawing comics myself. In high school, I was doing stuff. I did go to the Joe Kubert School of Cartoon and Graphic oh, really? Art awesome. to learn how to do stuff like that. Um, was working for companies right out of school. Started working for Marvel Comics at about 22, 23 years old. Doing um, painting for them, doing inking for them. Worked for about 15 editors up there. Um, started self-publishing my own book, Exit 6, in late 90s. Very hard to do, spent a lot of money doing it, didn't quite work out, but it did gain me a following and I did get a, uh, nominated for the Most Promising Newcomer of the Year Award out in San Diego. Nice. So, Man, I should have done my research. I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> my apologies. <laughs> but I've been out of the comic book world. I, I still love doing comics, but I've been out for about 10 years doing commercial illustration work. But I really still love doing books and I love the idea that you can do a webcomic now and have one site to put everything and no one can stop you. No one can say... Your art's not good enough to publish. Your sales aren't good enough to keep going. And I just love that I have a place to put everything now. The music, the art, the stories, all that. Yeah, so people can go online and read Oil Can yep. Drive? OilCanDrive.com, yep. simple enough. And how did uh, this come out of your, um, I guess, longing for the industry? Like, what did what come out of the book? Uh, the, or? the book. How did, how did you start Oil Can Drive? I uh, mean, the, I was about a little doing bit. a lot of um, different comic projects. I'd done the Exit 6 book, which was a self-published one. 
and that didn't work out. I worked for a couple other people. I found out Heavy Metal magazine takes submissions, and what they took is like seven to ten page book, like stories. I didn't have a seven to ten page story, no concepts. So I came up with this as a way to do shorter stories. And in doing so, it was like, what are all the things I love? And I wanted to put all that in one place. So that's why it's a little rock and roll, a little bit of hockey, cute girls, giant gorillas, airships. It started out as like a little bit of Mad Max with a rock and roll soundtrack. Right. And has adjusted into a little bit of Firefly meets a little Joes and the Pussycats. Yeah, I was about to ask, so what, it, it, what is the story about? The story's about, again, rock band in the future, on the run. <coughs> Um, in the wastelands of America in a stolen airship they are together not because they really want to be because they have to be right. and they're making their way across the wastelands as a band okay. so it's a very yeah, rock and roll soundtrack with a western almost a futuristic western nice uh, you do commercial illustration yes, um, the first time I actually found Oil Can Drive was what yeah. eight years ago on the cover of uh, we just like to inform you that uh, Denver Comic Con attendee shirts and trucker hats are now being discounted at booth 801. Whoa. I gotta get those. Denver Comic Con merchandise and info booth. Booth 801, swing by and pick up an attendee shirt or trucker hat at a discount. Thanks very much. All right, so I, I found Oil Can Drive on the cover of New Scheme. I think number six number is what six you had said. How, how did you meet up with those guys? Uh, a friend of mine actually worked with him right. at a printing place. Stuart Anderson ran the New Scheme, did a zine, and it was great knowing someone who knew so much about independent rock and roll. Right. So I really loved that. Really, Him and I started talking. I would ask him about bands because I'd never been in a band, so it was nice to talk to someone about how do bands work. He was in a band at the time as well. And when he was doing the new scheme number six, he asked me to do the cover for it with my band. Right. More than happy to do. It was right when I came up with the concept too, so it was really cool to see it in print. Yeah. It, it was really bizarre walking by the table. I'm like, oh, I love yeah, that you found it I, that way. I, I'm like, yeah, I know that. I have, I still have that issue somewhere in a box that because I, I, I used to do zines and I still right. kind of this is kind of a zine in itself. So, um, so yeah, I still hold on to all that nice. stuff. What, what kind of music are you listening to uh, um, these days? The music I love, I love some Green Day. I love the nice. new three new albums. I loved a lot. Um, I love the Who. If I could be one band, if I could like sing like one person, play guitar, play bass, or play drums like one person, it would be the whole Who. Nice. So love them, love classic rock like that, love old Nirvana stuff. Um, every time I kind of look for musical inspiration, it goes back to Pete Townsend and Kurt Cobain. Cool. Um, love Springsteen, love Dylan. Here. I always said if I could do Bob Dylan, put a punk rock version of Bob Dylan, I'd be super happy. Nice. What, what, what were the early uh, your early musical like? Influences. Early music, Springsteen was big. I grew yeah. up in the New England, so that was a huge thing with Springsteen. Right when Born in the USA came out, right when the live yeah. concert stuff came out. I, I talk about Born in the USA on here a lot. That, that was USA. my oh, intricate first album. Who did not have that album yeah. when I was a kid? So that's a huge one. But yeah, coming up, I almost admired the punk rock stuff more because it's something attainable. Right. You didn't have to be a virtuoso on the guitar. You could do three chords and write a song. Mm-hmm. And it was weird coming up at 30 years old being kind of cemented in that I do art this is what I do and being able to go can I write a song yeah. I'm not 16 I wish I could go back in high school and find a band and right. play but I did the best I could with what I had yeah. and Th- better, better late l- than never took the words out of my mouth better late than um, never so I'm very happy I found music and I, once I started playing music the whole world made way more sense <laughs> it really did uh, so how many cons do you go to a year this is only actually first one, first Denver Con last year, 2012, was the first one I'd been to in 10 years. Nice. This is the second one I've been to. Are you, are you based out of Colorado? Based out of Boulder. Okay, cool. Yep, yeah. which is where I met Stuart. I uh, did the new scheme. But yeah, I haven't traveled to do cons in, in years. So it's nice that Denver finally put on a nice big one that I can right. just 
drive down the road to and come here. Yeah. I don't know if I'm ready to do the circuit again. I have friends, my friend Tom Zoller over here. Who oh, does, I, just, uh, I just talked to him. Yep. He, him and I went to school together, Cooper. Knew each other since we were 18 years old. He does a convention almost every other week. Don't know if I'm ready to go on the road like that yet. The thing I like about the cartoon band is I get to be in a band without being in a band. Right. I don't have to travel. I don't have to do anything. Like I can sit at home, do my work, play music, and, you know, yeah. keep it simple. Well, do you have any tips for anybody out there that's listening that is going to uh, have their own booth at a con in the future? I mean, um, how's your experience been so far? It's been great. I go into these things not for money. I go into them just to get exposure. And I'm one of those guys who I love making stuff. I love making stuff and giving it out. So if people get it, all the better. And I'm a big fan of just doing things to see if I can do them. Cool. And I'd like to live my life that way. I wish I'd done it more when I was younger. So try things. Do things. The world's at your feet these days with everything you can do and everywhere you can put it online. Nice. That's been a common theme today with everybody I'm talking about. It's basically get up off the couch and, yeah, and do, do it. it. The only thing it. really stopping you is the stuff in your head. Yeah. And that's sometimes a really hard hurdle to get over. But you don't need to wait for permission anymore. You can do it all right. yourself now, and I love that. Nice. Well, cool. And any uh, final words before I let you uh, go back to shilling? Just thank Shilling, you. is that the right word? Shilling, shilling, shilling. Yeah. shilling. Something. No, just thank you for doing this with me. I appreciate yeah. it. And I'm glad you saw the new ski. Yeah. It was a neat way to hear that someone heard about the band that yeah. way. I really uh, love that. When I, it, I actually used that as a model for my zine when I started. I would nice. have, I only put out three issues, but I would have comic illustrators do the covers nice. and interview them inside. That's why I love so. doing the self-published stuff. It's the same, it's like a comic zine, but yeah. you're doing your own stuff. I love that. Any kind of thing you want to do on your own, I say, just do it. Right on. Cool. It's a way to do it. Well, uh, thanks for talking with me today. I'll, you, uh, I'll, I'll be back around soon to right. say hello and I goodbye and all that it. stuff. Thanks, buddy. Thank you much. All right, so I'm at the Denver Comic Con hanging out with uh, Matt Wagner, the creator of Mage, Grindel. Um, you pretty much rewrote Two-Face for Batman pretty much, right? Yeah. yeah. And amongst other things, uh, Shadow Year One is sitting right in front of me. Shadow Year One and uh, the Tower Chronicles for uh, with Simon Bisley for uh, Legendary Comics. Nice. Um, so I just showed you my uh, Mage tattoo. Do you have any tattoos yourself? Nope. Well, if, is there anything that's ever meant that much to you that you thought... Maybe I, maybe not tattoo, but I, I don't, I don't know quite how to phrase it. Is there anything like that important to you that like? Because this, this came along at a time where things were rough, and that comic like really held me together for that moment. So, was there any like really big books for you like that that came around at uh, specific times that helped? I guess hold you together. I don't know. That's not really phrased right. Yeah, no. I mean, uh, in my case, it's what I produce, not so much what I intake. Um, and same thing, you know, I. I I would never end up getting a tattoo, I don't think, because I'm an image generator. So, I mean, uh, in the same vein, I don't have any of my own art on display in my house. Uh, because when I'm done with it, I'm on to the next one. Yeah. Uh, if I had it up on the wall, all I would focus on is what I don't like about it. You know, it, it might look great, and the hand looks wrong. And all I would focus on is that hand, you know? Right, right, right. Um, so, uh, so, no, it's, it, art is too fluid for me to, to ever settle on any one image. Um, but, you know, I've seen loads of Grendel tattoos, man. There was a guy uh, at, uh, let's wait on this, way too loud announcement is over. Is it, can anybody ever say what these guys say? That's okay. I don't think they can hear it on here. Okay, so uh, I was at uh, a con in Baltimore a number of years ago, and this guy came up to me, a huge fella, about 6'3", probably 275. 
Hey, I want to show you something. Peeled up his shirt, and literally from neck to butt, shoulder to shoulder, his entire back was Grendel's tattoos. Wow. I was like, dude, you get a free sketch. <laughs> um, so I, I like to talk a lot about people's origins on this show. Um, what point did you start storytelling? Because you were a writer before an artist, right? Or no, did it no, go no. I, did both, I broke in doing both at the same time. Uh, and then I eventually branched into writing for other artists, mainly because I was... I was so young and I was getting so many accolades and patted on the back so much that that made me worried. I thought, eh, there's no way I have this all figured out yet. Yeah. Um, so I decided to write for other artists in an effort to see through their eyes. Um, but even before that, when you were a little kid... When I was a little kid, I was always into storytelling. I, was, uh, I did my first comic, I was about eight. Um, uh, I, I tell this funny story of... Uh, I grew up out in the country in Pennsylvania and... When I was younger, uh, I, I shit you not, a traveling Bible salesman came to the door. And, you know, I was raised in a Protestant household, and uh, uh, he was selling these lushly illustrated versions of the Bible. And we're flipping through it, and I'm, I'm naming off all the, the, you know, that's the ark, that's Jonah and the whale, that's Daniel the lion's den, that's Moses, that's... And he gets to a shot of Adam and Eve in their loincloths, and I go, Dad, look, Tarzan! <laughs> <laughs> So I guess you could say I was doomed for this uh, life from the very start. And uh, do you remember, like, the first time you picked up that pen and paper and started drawing? Was it a very early, early age? Yeah, very, very early. My mom used to say, you know, I'd, I'd say, Mommy, draw me a cow, and I could already draw a cow better than her, you know. Okay. Um, uh, my parents were very encouraging, even though they knew nothing about art and didn't really have an artistic bone in their body. Um, but, yeah, I started very young. You know, my mom was an English teacher and always encouraged me to read. And read, read, read. And unlike a lot of English teachers of her generation, she didn't care that I was reading comics. At least I was reading. Yeah, right. Um, she thought I'd grow out of them. Uh, Boy, was she wrong. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, you know, I drew. I was an only child. There wasn't much video entertainment when I was young, so I drew to entertain myself. And comics were drawing and reading all in one nice, tidy package. So that's why I gravitated to comics. Yeah. Uh, when did you first start? You, you wrote your first comic at eight. When did you realize that you could combine the two? Was it just watching, uh, reading other people's comics? Yeah, yeah, I was reading other people's comics. And I don't know, the, you know, the entire uh, business and industry of comics was a mystery to me because at that point, you had to live in New York. There was no overnight delivery. Uh, you know, the early comic book artists, uh, they all lived in... New York, New Jersey, or Connecticut, so that they could take the train into the offices, get their assignment, take the work back, bring it in the next week. And I didn't live anywhere near New York, so. Um, Where so did all, you? Where did you live? I grew up in the middle of Pennsylvania. Oh, you just said that. Yeah, I apologize. Um, uh, and then, uh, and then that all started to change once you got you know overnight delivery and. Eventually, the contemporary uh, version of technology, which makes it doesn't matter where the hell you live, you know. And you went to school for art, right? Yep. I went to. The, I went to a regular university, but then I also went to the Philadelphia College of Art for two years. Nice. Was did you actually learn anything there? I've heard some artists say sure. they wish they had skipped school because they didn't learn anything. They no, no, I can't say I, I can't say I didn't learn anything. I learned quite a bit. Um, my uh, my very first publishing experience was at the not at the art school, but at the university I went to before that. They had a uh, a really big award-winning uh, student campus paper came out twice a week. It's about thirty thousand copies nice. circulation. Big big school. Um, so I did a comic strip for them twice a week, and then I was also their graphic artist, which meant the nights they went to press, I had to show up at the office around nine o'clock at night. They had the paper laid out by that point. 
wherever they had a dead spot that had no copy, no ad, no photo, I had to do an illustration to fill that in. And I couldn't leave till I was done. So for the first time ever, I wasn't drawing because I wanted to. I was drawing because I had to. Right. And I usually didn't leave till 2, 2.30, 3 more in the morning. I got a one credit A for that and about 40 bucks a month, which, you know, <laughs> back in 1980 was righteous. I, was, I thought I was the top of the world, you know. So, you know, the college was a good learning experience for me. I, I will say it's a really good environment to learn and to be around other artists. Um, in no way does getting a diploma make you an artist, unlike being a doctor or a lawyer. Uh, you don't need to be certified in any way. You know, hopefully at the end of your four years, you're just at the very beginning of your of your journey. Well, you got a line forming, so I, I'll get, hurry up and get out of the way. Uh, one quick question. Any idea when Mage is going to ever come back? Nope. No clue? But um, it will. It will, yeah. Uh, Stephen King is famous for talking about, his particular his Dark Tower series, like he's a conduit. Like It yeah, comes to him. Yeah, absolutely that. So. I don't decide when I'm going to do Mage. Mage decides when I'm going to do Mage. Right. Uh, and very strangely on Mage, unlike anything else I work on, I don't, uh, I don't take out any notes. I don't do any layouts. I sit down with blank pages, and I just start to go. It's, that's not to say I haven't thought about it, but I like to keep it very fresh and very open. Cool. Um, and right now, you, you've got the Grindle on, Omnibus number three coming out. Yep. Doing the, writing, Shadow writing writing the Shadow Year One. Writing Shadow Year One. Right. And uh, what else? Anything else on the, the tap? Tower Chronicles for uh, Legendary Comics, which is me writing and Simon Bisley drawing. Yeah. And you do 100 covers a month, it seems. Are you still doing covers? No, that no, many? no I don't do 100 covers. No, I know, but it seems like it. Um, any covers coming out that we should look for? Just for the shadow. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, I'll let you go. Uh, thanks for talking with me, Matt. You bet, man. My yeah, pleasure. pleasure. All right, so I'm talking with uh, Noah Van Skyver. It is Skyver, not Skyver. Right. See, I, I still misspell it even after all this time. Yeah, you remember. <laughs> yeah, I apologize. Um, so we talked. You were on one of the very first episodes of Mostly Harmless. Uh, the hypo had not yet come out, but the hypo has since come out, and it's... Uh, has, it, it seems like it's been a runaway success, has it? Yeah, it's been really, really good. Yeah, has it blown you away how good this success has been? Yes. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I can't imagine that you expected... You probably, What did you expect to happen? Uh, no, I mean, I, uh, I didn't really have too many expectations, honestly, you know? I mean, you know, it was... It got out there more than I thought it would. So I, I don't know. I mean, that's better than expected. But I don't know. I didn't really have too much, too many expectations. Is is it weird when you go to like a Barnes and Noble to see your book sitting there? Yeah, that, that was a goal of mine. So it's really cool. I wanted to see that, you know. Yeah. Um, so it has been like a year and a half since we did that last podcast. Yeah. How has your life changed because of that podcast? Not at all. Well, because of the podcast? Yeah. Oh, uh, Probably oh, yeah, not my, at all. Right. My comics sell better now. <laughs> but probably not because of me. No, because of you. Oh, well. Because your friends come over and then... <laughs> <laughs> Something, I don't know. Um, you're on the cover of this week's Westward. Yeah. How the hell... I mean, I know you do the Westward support questions. Yeah. Uh, I picked up a copy drunk last night. I haven't read it yet. I apologize. That's okay. I meant to put it in my backpack and have you autograph it, but I mistakenly forgot. Why don't we have a stack of them sitting here? I don't know. You could be selling those, hawking them, yeah, no, selling, Sell, them. selling free magazines. Get out there and see that they're free on the street. Like, ah, damn it! I mean, donation, donation for autographed Westward. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, they're going to disappear in a couple of days, and then they'll be gone. Yeah. So, how did you? How did this come about? I, I, I assume it's a celebration of the comic. Yeah, it's a comic issue. I had brought the idea to Westward to do a, a comic issue last year, and they didn't have enough time. So then uh, this year they contacted me about doing it. So this is the first annual comic issue, and it's something they're going to do every year uh, around this same time. Nice. And uh, so are you the editor of it? 
Uh, I'm one of the editors of it, yeah. What, what is your criteria to be in it? Uh, it the, I mean, you have to meet the theme, and the theme this year was like it had to be something about Colorado, something about living in Denver, you know? So that's all you really had to do, and then and, uh, do the comic to the right dimensions, which a lot of people couldn't do. Right. Fair enough. <laughs> and you still do the four questions yeah. uh, most every week still, right? Yeah, every week. Without, without, a, without missing a beat. Um, how is that going? Uh, are you still looking for bands? How hard is it to find I'm bands to do? always looking for bands. Every, yeah, always looking for bands. If you're in a band you want me to do one, contact me. <laughs> uh, does it have to be bands? How about just uh, musicians themselves? Uh, yeah, musicians too. Like just a random ukulele player yep. on Colfax Street Corner should contact you. That sounds good. I'll do it. Cool. Uh, Blamo number what? This eight. is number number eight. Wow. Yeah. It just came out. It came out this weekend, right? Uh, yeah, it came out Thursday. Close so, enough. So yeah, close enough. Um, what's the reception been on that so far? Have you heard Amazing. anything? That sold Amazing. a lot. I mean, that's how much. I mean, that's, I don't know. It hasn't been reviewed yet because it's so new. But I have sold a lot of them at this nice. convention. So I, I know you you go to a lot of conventions, right? Yep. Uh, especially now with the new book, um, how does this one compare? You know, being in your hometown, you get to sleep in your own this bed. Is the biggest one I've ever done, and it's the best one because I don't have to recoup anything because I live down the street. You know, so I don't have to like re- you know have to pay for an airplane or gas or anything like that or the table because I'm a guest here. So all the money I make, it's all gravy. So I like it. It's the best one. Cool. And then uh, th- you also said that this is the best convention you've ever done. Yeah. Um, how so? I mean, because of that. Because I, I also have a book that is $25, so you sell yeah. enough. You know, I mean, it's just like more money. I used to just sell comics that were $5 and then leave here with a couple hundred maybe or something. I don't know. Right on. Right on. Right on. And uh, I, I assume, like, being on the cover of The Westward with hi- the hypo out now, yeah. I'm sure you've been getting a ton of traffic just based on that alone, yeah, right? I put that cover right there. <laughs> I hung it in front of the table and... Yeah, it's been good, man. Cool. Well, uh, what else do you have in the works? Uh, I have another book I'm working on called St. Cole, and that's going to be done probably next year. I mean, I'm going to finish it this summer, but it'll probably be out next year. And any any details about that? Uh, it's a story about this guy who uh, lets his girlfriend's mom move into their apartment with them, and then he starts smoking crack and fucking her. The, the mom? Yeah. I can't wait to read it. Yeah, it's really messed up. <laughs> is this based on real life adventures? No, no. <laughs> I don't know. Any, I mean, I certainly haven't done that. Right on. Um, well, all right, Noah. Uh, anything else people should be on the lookout for? Uh, I can't think of anything. <laughs> cool, man. Well, thanks a lot. Thanks for uh, talking to me, real quick. So I'm uh, at the Midspace booth with Nick and Zach, the creators of Midspace. What's up, guys? Uh, not much. And that's Nick. Yeah, this is Nick. Not much. This is Zach. This is Zach, and uh, everything is up. Right. How has your uh, convention been so far? I've had a great experience. We've had a lot of awesome fans come by, pick up our book, buy some art, prints, all that kind of good stuff. So it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I've had a good time. It was completely opposite of the last con we did, which was very like heartbreaking, and nobody bought anything. But this is a good turnaround, and we're high spirits. Nice. Uh, you guys do go to a lot of, well, maybe not a lot, but you guys have been going to more and more cons lately. Uh, how does this one, being, you know, you live right down the street here in Denver, Colorado, what, how, how does this compare to versus going to Seattle or one of the other conventions? Uh, if I want to go home to take a shit, I can go home and take a shit, and that is the best <laughs> feeling in the damn world. Have you done that yet? No, I haven't. The, bathroom, the bathrooms are really nice here, so I haven't had to do yeah, that. Yeah, I was going to say, like, all the bathrooms, I, there's never a line. There's enough of them that it's nice. It's like, oh, hey. Yeah, I actually I, got bored the other day and just went in there and sat down. <laughs> I just saw an opportunity for a joke, so I took it. But uh, no, it's it's nice because you know a lot of 
a lot of people we know have been stopping by and we were here last year a lot of people that we're excited that we're from here. Came back to buy our uh, second issue of Midspace, so that that's nice. Cool. How about you, Zach? Well, like I said, it's been um, busy beyond being able to walk back and forth from home. Just the local crowd, the feeling of being home is really nice. You have, and plus the growth that's come out of this convention. They had some you know, some issues with getting people in, but you know we don't deal with that side of it. Just, yeah. You know, Friday was a little slow. Then just like it's just started to avalanche into like this crazy day of Sunday. Yeah, I can't believe that Sunday's this busy. Sunday, you'd think, would be slow. Sunday's usually dead. Everything's, like, half off. And I was like, no, it's too busy to be half <laughs> off. You know, people right. are buying. Like, screw that. We're doing balls out right now. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, you guys are here selling Midspace. Um, most of these people listening are going to have no idea what it is. What is Midspace? Uh, Midspace is this uh, creator-owned book that we self-publish. It's uh, comedic, intergalactic... Uh, I think it's South Park meets Quentin Tarantino. Our, our goal for the book was just to make a, a fun, violent book that we didn't see on the stands. Right. We wanted, and in addition to that, but you know, we weren't seeing anything on the stands that we really liked that, that was independent, that had like that science fiction feel, but also had like a Douglas Adams feel to it, and not just you know poignant science fiction, which I like, but. I, it's not my style. It's not my jive. So I was like, you know, we're going to do our own book, and we've had a lot of fun with it, and that's the whole point. Cool. And then the reception, I take it, has been really well? Usually, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've only had, a, we've had like one or two people fart on it, but, you know, what you, and that's mostly, you know, people who are professional and obviously jealous of amazing things. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to go as far as calling them jealous, but maybe they just don't get it. That's the most positive thing I've probably ever said. Usually I'm a negative prick, and I'm like, they're jealous. I'm awesome, but uh, no, I just some people just don't get it. They don't like yeah. the humor. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, you've got issue two came out what earlier this year? Uh, March. Uh, when, when does issue three come out? Uh, hopefully two, three months. We're keeping it loose because whenever we set a date, we have huge uh, existential crises that crises that happen that make us not get it out on time. Yeah. Plus, I'm working on I'm working on another book, so it's going to be a balancing act. Oh, what are you working on now? I have a book called The Reunion. Um, it's with a company from Canada, and it's it's hard to describe because it's a it's not just another sad cat story, but it's about a sad cat story. But it involves involves a lot of murder and schizophrenia as well between some some of the main characters that are abusing cats. So it's more of an awareness book. Cool. Yeah. And, and you do some work, like you you've done some work for some pretty prominent companies too, right? All right. I've done Spot Illustration. I've you know most famous thing probably is New York Times. You know, I've done some stuff. I did a couple little things, doodles and stuff for Westward and other magazines, Popular Science. You know, uh, the guys from uh, Dakota Productions hired me to do uh, some stills for um, a podcast called Oh Yeah, Dude. They were pitching it as a, as a TV show, and those guys before that made Flight of the Concord. So, oh, right on. Yeah, those guys. exactly. Yeah, it was a good, t- good times. And you get to work with them. That's yeah. fantastic. <laughs> um, how do you make these connections? Do they come to you? Do you go to them? It kind of just, well, you know, with Oh Yeah Dude, I was like, you know what, I love your, I love the, po- the guy's podcast, um, you know, and I think I one of their media guys hit me up, and he's like, hey, we did your artwork, we're trying to get some artists to do some bumpers for them, would you be interested? I'm like, oh yeah. And it's just kind of, some stuff just falls in your lap, some stuff right. you just put it out there and you don't hear from, it just comes. Yeah. Yeah, it just kind of depends. So, uh, so Nick, you're the writer. 
Yes. When did you start writing things? Have you always been a writer, or is this like a new transition this you're trying a, to pick this, up? Uh, this is a new transition. Like, I played music for years. I still do play music. Uh, but, you know, me and Zach met working at a grocery store, and we would just talk about comic books. And I knew he was an artist, and I kept, like, suggesting, like, hey, maybe you should do a book like this, dude. Maybe you should do a book like this. And then he kind of got tired, and was just like, hey, just write the book, and then I'll do the book that you're always trying to pitch me which is kind of like I'm not a writer I'm grammatically retarded I suck at technical writing but uh, yeah I was just like screw it I'm going to do it life's too short and we have this fun uh, space comic that worked out pretty well nice nice um, do you, you guys used to work at the same grocery store together yeah uh, do you, I take it you guys don't work together anymore right no we do not do you still work at the same grocery store nope no no both of us have uh, different jobs now nice so, I, you're doing a lot more freelance work. Yeah. Can you make a living off this yet? <laughs> I'm, starting, I'm starting to get to where I was like, I only have to work part-time because of it now, yeah. And you work at a toy store, huh? I do work at a toy store. Is it, as, is it as fun as I think it would be? It's incredibly stress-free. Yeah. yeah, unless my boss gets a wild hair. Yeah, it's totally cool. Cool. I don't have to wear pants, okay. just jeans. Nice. I, I, was, I was like, I had to qualify that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought you were about to say like, yeah. I just sit around in my underwear all day. Yeah, you know. So, uh, where do you work? Where are you working at now, Nick? Uh, I work for a lighting company in their warehouse. So I just do shipping and receiving kind of stuff. It's yes. pretty low stress, but it's 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 just a nine to five, you know. Whatever. Cool. Can you give me a job? Uh, probably not because oh. I don't have enough power. Oh, uh, well, damn. That sucks. <laughs> yeah. um, so, Midspace is going to come out eventually. Uh, what's next for you guys? Any more cons? Uh, I think we're, after this, like, we're going to just kind of sit down and figure out what to do next. I don't know. If, uh, we've been talking about maybe hitting up more cons, maybe taking some time off from cons to actually get more work out and actually maybe get published and get, right. get out there. Uh, like, actually, when we do get out there, we actually do something with it, but... Yeah. Uh, yeah, right now the future is very unknown. We're just cool. going to keep putting stuff out. That's the only thing that's for sure. Nice. Um, so I was talking to uh, Thomas Z over there. I forgot his his full last name. Uh, Loving Loving Capes, I believe was his book. I should edit this out because I'm not entirely sure what his <laughs> name is. Um, but anyway, we were talking earlier. He's been doing conventions on and off for four years, pretty much every weekend. You guys are still relatively new at it. But what have you learned in the few uh, few conventions you've been to? Uh, if your book doesn't have capes or spandex in it, people will not give a shit about it. Most people won't. But there are, you know, that, that it's a double-sided sword because there's a lot of people at cons that care about stuff that is not superhero-driven. So they get really excited when they see something that is uh, not the norm at these conventions. So cool. that's And that's really what's refreshing. And uh, uh, don't party on Friday. Party on Saturday. Because I partied on Friday this weekend, and I was just tired all day Saturday, and it was—I was a mess. So, what have, what have you learned about selling yourself? Uh, it's self, gotten hard, uh, or easy, I should say. I yeah, should yeah, say. yeah. It's it's gotten easier. Uh, if you self-publish, always throw that out. People will buy it up a lot faster. If you're like, oh, it's self-published, because one, they feel bad because you're eating ramen every night. They know it, and uh, two, uh, they're just kind of interested in the process, and that kind of opens up another. Uh, topic of conversation cool and what have you learned Zach unfortunately I've had to use my customer service skills more but um yeah it's just being friendly grabbing kind of not almost like grabbing people and saying hi and not being like you know fat white lump in a chair drawing so I try to stand up to you know communicate with the people draw them in 
and then pitch to them. But also, you know, the best part about conventions that I have, I find, is the networking and just being cool with people. And man, you'll make some great friends amongst you know your other professionals. And I've learned there's no like secret key to get into right. like the professional realm. It's just like you make them buddies, and all of a sudden someone suggests you for this, and boom, you're in. Yeah. So, you would you recommend to struggling artists? who are struggling to get their work out there to come here, come yeah. to the conventions and work? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, don't be afraid to show your artwork to anybody. I mean, don't you can't be like, you can't be dainty about it. You're going to get torn apart. Yeah. But that's the only way you're going to get better. Right on. Yeah, and it's, you know, I, I learned more conventions than three years of art school. So there you go. There's nice. that. Um, anything else? and you want to talk to the other professionals like you know be cool don't pester them but you can always send them stuff like you know every, but just do it every couple of months be like hey can I just send you stuff every couple of months to get some feedback it's a great way to do it. that's what I did when um, I met Zach Howard and then we just got to be drinking buddies and nice. yeah he'll never bullshit you you just gotta find someone that just won't BS you right on uh, stop wanting to do it and just do it. Yeah, that's that's the big yeah, thing. Yeah, that's like the cliche thing, but like no, no, that's a very common theme amongst this whole weekend from everyone. Like Felicia Day was talking about that yesterday. You know, yeah, do she it. She was just she's, a gaming lump before that, right? Yeah. yeah you just if, you just have something to put out, and I know like when you when people bring their portfolios around and they show it, like just just do a book and show that you can you don't have ADD and that you can actually do one thing and yeah. have it be decent. A book speaks volumes if you want to get in. Killer. It really does. Well, uh, I'll get away from your table and stop distracting your traffic. <laughs> I'm sure they see this homeless-looking guy. Like, we're not going to stop there. But, uh, Zach, you did the Koala Bear logo for Mostly Harmless. I, uh, I owe you forever. Uh, we'll do we'll do a full-length, real podcast sometime soon with some beers and drinking. and I don't know. Maybe even tonight. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe we'll get a wild hair up our ass. So, uh, thanks, guys. Any final words? Be with you. Okay. Uh, no, I. Oh, okay. <laughs> so uh, I'm here hanging out with Anthony Montgomery from Star Trek Enterprise. We're going to talk about his new book, Miles Away. <laughs> what was the transition from going from Star Trek Enterprise to creating and writing your own comic? Well, I created Miles Away while I was still on Enterprise oh, in 2001, and I did something for our core Star Trek fans out there. Miles Away is about a 16 year old named Maxwell Miles, who has a clouded past, develops a superhuman ability, gets recruited by a shadowy organization to battle evil on future Earth. The project takes place in 2089. He also allies with alien refugees and falls into an interstellar war as he explores his family's dark past. So I wanted to do something for my core Trek fans out there as a way of saying I love you and thank you guys for your allegiance to the Star Trek universe. Nice. Um, were you a comic book fan before? Did yeah. Did you grow up on comic books? I grew up reading comics. Uh, what were your first? What was your first comic? Do you remember? Uh, I don't remember my very first one, but I used to read everything from Archie and Jughead to Richie Rich. But the ones that I really connected with the most were usually action adventure, The Amazing Spider-Man, right. Uncanny X-Men, uh, Silver Surfer, Fantastic Four, all the ones that are movies now. Right. <laughs> um, did you, you wrote the book yourself? Did yeah, you write I, it yourself? I created... I'm the Gene Roddenberry of this universe, okay. so I created everything, and I have a writing partner. My writing partner's name is Brandon Easton. He's one of the writers for the new Thundercats television series, Very nice. and he is a graphic novelist himself, so he took my source material. Thank you. 
Oh, it's your birthday. Yes. Oh, well, happy birthday. Thank you. He took my source material, Brandon took my source material, and pinned the story that I wanted told, sent it over to me. I did my rewrite, and then we sent it out to the rest of the creative team. I hired everybody, paid for it all out of my own pocket, and launching it as a transmedia franchise, starting with a graphic novel. It will then be an animated series, and three to four years after the animated series launches, plan to do the first live action feature film. Nice. So you created this. Were you a creative kid? Did you write short stories? No. Make any of that stuff as a kid? No. Nope. This is all something new for you? All and, brand new. And how was the experience to just, I mean, acting, you get to see yourself on the screen. You get to hold something in your hand now that's tangible that you read. Is the uh, experience different versus holding or watching yourself? Uh, if that makes sense. Well, yeah, no, it, it makes sense, but it's being a creative person. I'm a creative being. That's So whether I'm creating a character that comes to life on the screen or creating now works of literature, graphic novel, I've written, I've penned my first feature film. So calling myself a writer now, being able to hold it in my hands, it it's definitely a sense of accomplishment. But I get no less of a sense of accomplishment seeing myself on screen. So it's just being able to get that creative juice out and know that I'm fulfilling that thing inside myself to be able to give back to the world. Right. And you're also a musician. Yes. Um, it, is that just a different part of the brain, or does that all come from the same source same, material? Same creative source. Nice. My, um, I, and no, the, the album has nothing to do with Miles Away. Of course. Which has nothing to do with the stuff that I've done. Right. Um, but I'm the first actor in Star Trek history to record a hip-hop album. Nice. And it's more Will Smith than 50 Cent. I don't kill anybody. I don't sell drugs. No profanity, not demeaning to women. So, again, getting my music out, getting my getting my product out in a way that hopefully inspires the world for millennia to come. Cool. Where can people find uh, the music and Miles Away? They can follow me on Twitter at Mr. A. Montgomery because I tell, I give all of the updates. You can get the album... I don't even think the album is available, so they'll have to catch me at another convention. It was actually online. I had an international deal, and it was available online. Just looking my name up, the album is called AT. But I don't believe that it's even still available online. I have a single that is still available on iTunes called Stimulation. That's a club banger. It's a lot of fun. That one is available online right now. I mean, uh, on iTunes right now. Getting the book. You can go to Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com or they could go to the Antarctic Press website nice. because they have limited edition, a limited edition signed and numbered copy and they will ship those out to anybody that wants one. So cool. thank you everybody for supporting and welcome to Miles Away. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Anthony. Have a good, uh, have a good flight back. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. All right, I'm at Amy Reader's booth here at the Denver Comic Con. I just surprised her and asked her to draw me a sketch, and I figured I would ask her a few questions while I'm sitting here. I'm also straightening up her Kickstarter thing for whatever reason, because my ADD is out of control. Um, so, Amy, how has your uh, convention been this weekend? Oh, great. Yeah, it's just been really fun to talk to people. I've been super crazy busy, but that's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Um, unfortunately, I'd never... I'm not particularly in the world of comics as much. I do a music podcast. I'm trying to work back into it. But I walked by and I was captivated. Um, I looked it up a little bit online last night and I love the stuff that you're doing. Um, When did you first start 
drawing things. When was your earliest memory of like scribbling on paper or walls and crayons and stuff like that? I was pretty interested from a young age. I I never really got too much into drawing things from my own head. I like to copy more. Right. Until a long time later, yeah, that I started coming up with my own stuff. Yeah. What did you uh, discover that you could tell stories through the words or through the pictures? Uh, 24. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is p- quite a long time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what, what were the early stories that you would write? Um, or draw, well, I'm sure. Thing, nothing right. was early because even though I like drew realistically, mm-hmm. I didn't realize that I wanted to do comics until after college. So, yeah, it was late. And um, What did you go to college for? Uh, social science teaching. Nice. Yeah. Did you ever do any of that? Um, no, I tried to, but I couldn't get a job. <laughs> Always good. Always good to have you. Thank you. Thanks. Well, it seems like you found work now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, no, I mean that's the irony is it was somehow easier for me. Thank you so much. Thank you. Somehow it was easier for me to uh, do comics, but I mean I also was really obsessed with it and like worked to improve. And I mean it just. I was super driven, and that's why I decided that I had to do it. You know, right. I felt like that was for a reason. What was uh, some of your first professional gigs? Uh, the, f- the first thing was, uh, it's crazy, the first thing was I got my own graphic novel deal with Tokyo Pop. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Just, I've been really lucky. Yeah, they, they snapped up a bunch of young creators back they in the day. They did, yeah. yeah. So they didn't really know what they were doing, and I benefited from that. And luckily I, try- I made it everything, you know, like I tried to live up to the opportunity that they were giving me and I think that helped me out later on but that's really all I can really own up to with all the luck I've had. Um, What books are you working on now? I take it Batwoman? Are you still on Batwoman? Uh, No, Batwoman I finished up uh, last year. Um, Right now I'm just mostly working on creator-owned work um, uh, doing Rocket Girl which is currently running a Kickstarter. and it has like a week left, but yeah. So that's that. I'm focusing on creator on stuff. I'm, I'm going to try to get this up in the next couple of days. Uh, tell us about Rocket Girl. Maybe we can get some people to go over there and um, Kickstarter on it. Yeah. Well, she's a teen cop from the future who goes back in time to the '80s to fight crime. Um, she comes from this future with like flying cars and all that stuff, and um, and. Uh, but that future is actually like an alternate 2013. It's the future that we thought would have happened back in the 80s by now. Yeah. Uh, why the 80s? Um, because we love the 80s future movies that yeah. predicted that we'd be awesome by now. And we also like 80s cops movies. I'm working with Brandon Montclair who's writing it. And uh, we just went along with things that we love, you know? So. Uh, so typically I do, I mostly interview musicians. Um, uh-huh. do, what kind of music do you listen to while you're drawing? Do you listen to it? Anything? Oh, uh, see, this is terrible, but I'm usually kind of silent. But lately, uh, oh, and this is even worse, I recently discovered Spotify. Yes, it's wonderful. So um, I'm really getting into, like, the female, like, awesome, kick-ass women's music. Nice, like the I want to actually Bikini make, like, a playlist. Uh, no, it's just, like, it's just, like, stuff that was awesome when I was growing up, to be honest. So it's like salt and pepper and like just... <laughs> okay, I get that. But yeah, so I, I was like, I really want to make like a women who rock playlist basically. And I'm like slowly building that up. But in general, I need silence because I'm, I'm a musician myself, kind of. I mean, not that I do anything for a living with it. What, what do you play? 
Um, well, I, I know piano, but I'm more a singer, and so um, it's hard for me to just have something on the background, because to me that's the foreground if it's music, you know what I mean? Right yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, do you go to a lot of conventions? Um, yeah, sort of. Like, I, I would say like five a year usually. It might be more this year. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. How has how has that changed? I mean, since you first started going with conventions to now, have you how have you learned to sell yourself better, or do you even have to sell yourself at this point? Yeah, that's the thing. Is back when I started, I had to learn how to sell myself, but now people just come, which I feel incredibly lucky to say. Yeah. But um, now it's all just about being nice to people and not like being a jerk about having cool opportunities. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. more of the emphasis. Well, every time I've stopped by today, you've been just overwhelmingly pleasant to oh, talk thank to you. and to Good. listen to talking Good. to everybody else. I like talking to people. It's that teaching degree in me. Right. So, yeah, it's fun. It's it's like, drawing comics is very insular, so it's great to go out here and talk to people. It's funny, my buddy Noah does comics, and he's kind of a weird, oh, awkward Noah guy. Oh, Noah Yeah. Yeah. You know, he's weird and awkward, and yeah. but uh, and that's another type of demeanor it takes to do comics. Sure. Um, yeah. So, uh, you're done with my sketch, so I guess yes. I'm done asking questions. Oh, thank you very much. It's a wonderful yeah. Batwoman. Thank you um, very much. Like, one, one last thing. Like, you were one of the... Batwoman was one of the... I remember there was a big backlash because there weren't a lot of females in the New 52. Yeah. yeah but you were one of the females doing one of the better books. Uh, does that yeah. help sell the new Kickstarter and whatnot? Are you happy about all that? Yeah. No, I mean... I, mean, like, I, I don't know how to phrase lot, that question. It's okay. I've gotten a lot of attention for doing Batwoman. I've also gotten a lot of attention for being a female creator. And yeah. both of them have benefited me cool. a lot. So yeah. I'm glad I did it. Cool. I try, to, I try to stay away from this... How does it feel being a woman and stuff? But it's, that was one you know, I couldn't... It's important kind of. to say sometimes because I think there's a lot of women who want to get into comics. And that's why yeah. I always talk about it. Cool. Well, your so. style is wonderful. It's beautiful. It caught me right away. Thank you for talking Thank with you. me. Thanks for the sketch. Thanks You're wonderful. So much. Thank you. So uh, I'm hanging out at a gym. It's Mafood. Yeah. How do you say your last name? Mafood? Uh, either, either pronunciation, Mafood, Mafood. It's not really our last name anyway, so it doesn't matter. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's nice. Um, so I came across your works through Instagram. Like just randomly looking through Instagram. I found your stuff and I was blown away. I've been kind of out of the comic book scene for a while, so sure. I'm trying slowly getting back into it. I mostly interview musicians, which is perfect because your stuff fits that mold. Yes, um, the music vibe. How has social media helped you outreach and meet new fans and... I, I'm not phrasing it right. How has social media helped you with all this stuff? It's something along those lines. Oh, well, it's just, you know, instant exposure to people that would never see your work mm -hmm. otherwise. And, you know, having it be on a global platform, uh, you never know who's going to look at it, who's right. going to discover it. So it's, it's you know, made an immense impact on guys like me that are just doing their own stuff, putting it out there. Yeah. For promotional values, you know, you use all these things to promote what you're doing and... Uh, the whole key is you just hope that people catch on and you catch their attention. Cool. Yeah, you know? I, it, I like how on Instagram it's so easy. Like, you are already in a visual form. You just snap a picture, upload it, tag it with a couple hashtags, and boom, right. the followers come. Um, what else has worked out for you with selling yourself online? I, I guess that's the wrong way to say it, but you um, get the gist. I mean, I, well, ever since, like, you know, 98, I've, I've had a, a website with a message board. And when I, you know, when I was working with Oni Press, they had a message board, and so I was on the comic book message boards early on, and that kind of evolved, obviously, into like you know MySpace, and then evolved right. into Facebook, and then now it's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. So it's like these are just you know media platforms that 
you, have, yeah. you sort of have to be part of to promote your stuff and, and also show up in person at places. Yeah, it's cool. Make face-to-face contact with people, exchange ideas, and, uh, you know, give them a high five to the people that are, like, supporting your stuff. Nice. You can't just hide behind a computer or a desk. You actually have to go out and, like, I think, you know, meet the people and communicate with them right. and let them know that you're legit. Yeah. Um, you have a very interesting art style. Has you, wh- at what age did you start illustrating? Was that from, like, straight from the womb you started drawing? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Do you like, have, I just never stopped. Yeah. It's, you know, one of those things. I, I've had this story that I had, uh, I've told, like, three or four times a day on this show, um, of, like, I remember early me, like, drawing on the walls with car- crayons, like, these big, epic things. Did you ever do anything like that? Like, any early, like... Yeah, I, we used to draw um, on the sidewalks and on our basement uh, cement floor like these in chalk and do big drawings and I used to sit in front of the TV as a kid and make my own comic books Spider-Man and stuff like that and uh, yeah I mean just sort of the typical kid kind of stuff you know? what was the first comic book you ever read do you remember the first comic I read was the uh, Further Adventures of Indiana Jones nice when Marvel was doing that in like 1984 or 85 right on yeah. um, so you I read that you started working professionally at age 15. Yeah. How did you get... How did, were you just that good? How, did, how does one get started that Well, early? no. I mean, I wasn't good. I just... I lived in St. Louis, and there was a small publisher there called Artline Studios, and I met the guys running it, and they hired me to do, like, inking and background assistant work, kind of like gopher work, you know? Yeah. But they, they were the first guys that showed me, like, the tools of doing comics. Here's the paper you use. Here's the ink. Here's the materials, and... I got my first taste of like you know, working on on books that way. So it was it was really good for me. A good learning experience. Yeah. How did how did uh, was your stuff like this then? How did it evolve into what we have in front of us now? Uh, it's gone through several incarnations. It's gone through at least four or five incarnations of serious evolutionary steps. You know, and some of them were conscious, some of them were unconscious. Like you know. The more you do this, the better you get, hopefully. So I'm kind of excited to see where it's going to be in another five years. I don't really know, but I'm always trying to push and like do better stuff. And now you're working on Tank Girl. Is that what yeah. you're currently working on? That's your main project? I just finished it, so that's okay. done. Uh, my current project is I'm doing a huge art book through IDW called Visual Funk, and it collects my very best work from like the last five years. Cool. It's like a huge coffee table hardcover book. Nice. Due out in August. Due out in August. Um... I guess we'll wrap it up because I know you're trying to go. Oh, sure. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, what else What else do you have coming up other than that, or is that it? Right um, you know, I, I did a cartoon for MTV. We're still kind of oh, waiting wow. to find out what's happening with that. It was with my buddy Scott Mosier and Joe Casey. It's called Disco Destroyer. We've made two episodes so far. Cool. Has it aired? Um, no, not okay. yet. Titmouse Animation Studios animated it. It looks fucking amazing. And we're kind of waiting to see if they're going to debut it on the web or on... MTV or um, but my next step is uh, animation is to see this stuff move cool yeah Um, where can people find your work just just my website jimmafood.com and it has links to all my Instagram Facebook Twitter through my site right okay well hey thanks for uh, talking with me at the last minute of course it's a pleasure all right, buddies. Uh, that's it for all the questions from the Denver Comic Con. I thought I would just jump in here and cut real quick before we get to our clip from the Guild panel. Just to let you know that um, I decided in the midst of uh, editing everything together that I'm going to take the uh, MP3 from the entire Guild 
uh, panel at Denver Comic Con and uh, throw that up as a free MP3 on my website. Uh, visit mostlyharmlesspodcast.com or mhpod.com and download the whole uh, panel. The panel f- features uh, the guild creator, Miss Felicia Day, who is also the star of Dr. Horrible Sing Along Blog. It's also got uh, the character Zabu, uh, the actor who plays Zabu. I'm going to butcher his name, Sandeep. That's all we're going to say. Sandeep P. I can't know. I, I'm a dumb American. I can't say your last name. I'm sorry, Sandeep. Uh, it's also got Robin Thorson, who plays Clara on the Guild. And then Aaron Gray, who is mostly well-known for Buck Rogers. Um, she was also on Season 5 of the Guild playing Madeline, who I believe, if memory serves me correctly, she was a love interest of Vork. So, a uh, great panel. Fun to be around. Uh, you'll h- catch the lady who's sitting next to me uh, talking a couple times. But, hey, whatever. Uh, it's free for you. You get to listen. You weren't even there. It's just like you were there. It's the fourth row. Uh, all right, guys. So we're going to go ahead and cut back into the uh, clip from the Guild panel. And, again, if you like it, visit MostlyHarmlessPodcast.com. And then stay tuned after the clip from the Guild panel. We're going to have William Shatner reading Where the Wild Things Are to a group of young kids and the very excited adults. Thanks for listening, guys. Please visit, again, Visit MostlyHarmlessPodcast.com, like us on Facebook, uh, visit us and subscribe subscribe on iTunes. Thank you again, Denver Comic Con, Amy and Allison, and we'll see you next year. Thank you. Hi, everybody. My name's Damien. Hey, Gary, Damien. Hey, thank you. Um, I do a punk rock podcast called Mostly Harmless. Shameless self-plug there. Uh, Turbo Negro was on it. Just check it out. a lot of it is inspired by this new wave that you guys, you, uh, the Guild, uh, Mark Marin, the Nerdist, has brought on. Um, the year and a half that I've been doing it, my life has completely changed, and it is simply because I stopped talking about doing stuff and got up off the couch and did it. And I wanted to know, like, um, maybe you could say something inspirational. I don't really have a question, but like, what got you up off the couch to make something, and how has it changed everything? First of all, congratulations that you did that. I mean, yeah. it's a big step. It's a big sort of, I feel like there's a lot of like inner demons that tell you no, 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 or even outer demons um, that are trying to, you know, get you down. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, and so anybody who just makes anything, whether it's a costume at home to come cosplay at a camp convention or whatever, like anybody who creates, I always admire and envy. So kudos to you, man. Um, and keep at it. Yeah, so, right. Right. so thank you. I, I, I come to these conventions and I see all you guys creating, and everybody comes up to me and it's like, oh, this is my podcast, this is my video, I mean, I can always get, get to all of them, but it was that, just that moment of like, yeah, I just, it just, I feel like there's a kinship to like, all right, we're all creators and we're kind of yeah. doing it together, and it's uh, this place to come to meet all those people, so it's really cool. Yeah, I think it's important to just think about the things that you love and know that you're creating something is important. Every single one of us is unique. So if you don't leave your imprint in some way, even if it's just like the food that you cook for your family that they love, or a costume you make, or you know you want to write a comic, I think some of us uh, just get way too result oriented when we start to create, and we don't value the process of creating. Me included. Sometimes you're like, God, I just I want to get the script done. Versus like, why don't you just really be organic about what you're doing and make sure that's a reflection uniquely of yourself because that's really the world we're in we all have the tools now to be able to uh express ourselves and um and to me you're you're doing yourself a disservice um if you're not doing that and uh so bravo to everybody and then also thank you for supporting everybody else's creativity 
I mean, that really is the key. If you feel alone, you're not going to create, or judged, you're not going to create. So it's all about creating communities of safety where you can really be vulnerable and create. What was your turning point, though? What was the key? What was the thing? That I woke up one day and I was like, you're going to die, and you're useless. So it wasn't a great one. It wasn't a great one, but uh, it was something that waked me. So it was really being awful of myself, but okay. And sometimes that voice can be too overactive. So it's always a balance between protecting the creator in you and not being too lazy, because you have to have discipline. And then the disciplinarian in you can also be too hard on yourself. Right. Uh, so it's always a constant battle, I think, between that sort of voice that makes you do something and, and then the other one that allows you to play. Right. Uh, and I just got into overdrive and I was like, you do it, you're going to die. <laughs> <laughs> and I think um, whilst, uh, for me, it was sort of like the like, why not? Why not me? You know? Everybody else is doing, like there's you see all these other people that are doing it and you're like why why can't I do it? There's no reason and you start realizing that as soon as you have sort of a singular vision, as soon as Felicia came to me and was like, This is my script and I want you to play this, um, it just sort of I think it would, it, you can kind of easily fall behind someone who is a leader once you have that clear vision, you know what I mean? So I think you'll be surprised. Like if you're kind of sitting back and thinking like, oh, I really want to do this, we want to do that. Um, the moment that you actually make the decision to go, I'm going to do this, you'll start seeing people come out of the woodwork. And you'll be like more receptive to it. And you'll be like, oh, that guy that I met was an editor. And that guy that I met did this. And like all of a sudden the pieces start coming together. But you have to make that call. Yes. You don't make that call, it doesn't happen. But you'll, because you know, you'll have all these self-doubts or whatever, the second that you do, that people will help, you know well. I agree. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you if there's any chance of getting you guys on my show sometime this weekend. So, a little shameless self-promoting that. It's yeah. kind of interesting. Okay. <laughs> Come to our booth and, uh, and yeah, say hello. Say Bill. Then let's say Bill. That's my name. Funny. I didn't know you knew my name. That's called feedback. That sounds. You know what happens? The sound goes into here, goes into here, and then it starts to form a loop. The sound goes in here, go there, and it turns a loop, and it's called feedback. And that's the way sound works. Sound works in mysterious ways. Sound goes pretty fast. Goes over 700 miles an hour. Light goes faster. That's why when a lightning storm hits, you see the lightning, and then sometime later, <coughs> You hear the thunder because the lightning goes faster than the sound of the thunder. Lightning, sound. So many mysterious things out there. Oh yeah, there's mysterious things. There's this, the mystery of sound and light. There's the mystery of the stars. Have you looked up at the sky at night? and wondered about the stars. What are they? What are they doing? What I'm asking is a rhetorical question. 
That's the definition of a rhetorical question. I don't expect you to answer it. I'm just asking you the questions. The questions that you might ask. What is in the sky at night? What is the sun doing? Whoa, boy. The sun is hot, then the sun goes away, and it's cold, and then it gets hot the next day. How come? What is that? Mysteries. Mysteries of nature. Where does a cricket go? Where? How does a cricket make the sound? How do mosquitoes bite? How do birds make their sound? So these are all questions that can be answered in a book. You can look up the answers to these mysterious questions in books or in comics. Sometimes they'll have the answer. It's all part of your imagination. It's all part of reading. That's what reading is. It opens up all the questions. And see, this lady, she's an adult, and she's not paying attention. She's an adult and she's not paying attention, and all the kids are paying attention. How come? That's a mystery. You can find that in a book. That's the value of reading, kids. Now, am I supposed to read something? Is that the idea? I'm going to read you a little story. Okay? But remember, here's the whole idea. Mysterious questions, the mystery of the world. Nobody knows the answers to a lot of them. And so it's all in your imagination. So when I read, you have to imagine. Inside your head, you imagine what I'm saying. And it is the most fun. It's better than TV. It's better than a computer. The imagination inside your mind. For example, this book is called Where the Wild Things Are. Where are the wild things? Where are the wild things? That's what this says. Where are the wild things? Some of you know how to read. Some of you don't. Those of you who know how to read, doesn't that say where are the wild things? Yes? Okay. So I'm reading where are the wild things? Now, I am not even going to, I'm not even going to look at the picture. I am going to tell you the words. The night that Max wore his wolf suit and made mischief of one kind or another mischief of one kind or another. What does that mean? Does it mean they're, they're doing something their parents don't want them to do? That's what it means. His mother called him Wild Thing. That's what his mother called him. Because he was doing mischief. And Max said, I'll eat you up. What did he mean by that? And so he was sent to bed without eating anything. Whoa. He must have been real bad. Because if he was sent to bed without eating anything, what was his mother thinking? And what was he doing? That very night, in Max's room, a forest grew. Trees grew in Max's room, where he was sent, because he was bad. 
Now your imagination starts, and the forest grew, and grew, and grew, until a ceiling hung with vines, and the walls became the world all around, and an ocean tumbled by with a private boat for Max, and he sailed off through day and night. This was Max in his room. In his imagination. That's the magical part. And in and out of weeks and almost over a year to where the wild things are. Where are the wild things? Maybe they're here. Maybe you are the wild thing. Are you a wild thing? No. And when he came to the place where the wild things are, they roared their terrible roars and gnashed their terrible teeth and rolled their terrible eyes and showed their terrible claws. Ooh. This is all in Max's room. And this is all coming from this book. It's all reading in the book. Until Max said, be still. And tame them with a magic trick of staring into all their yellow eyes without blinking once and they were frightened and they called him the most wild thing of all he just stared and the wild things were afraid of him oh boy he knew how to handle wild things and they made him king of all wild things and now cried Max let the wild rumpus start Oh, he started a party, and now they all began to run and jump. All the wild things began to run and jump. Use your imagination about all the wild things doing it. They hung on trees. Look at them, hanging on trees. And then they jumped and danced around. Look, they're jumping and dancing around. Oh, Max is a wild thing. Now stop, Max said, and sent the wild things off to bed without their supper. And Max, the king of all the wild things, was lonely because he had sent everybody off to supper and wanted to be, a, be where somewhere, somewhere where someone loved him best of all. Then all around from far away across the world, he smelled good things to eat. How is that possible? So he gave up being king of where the wild things are. But the wild things cried, oh, please don't go. We'll eat you up and we love you so. And Max said, no, I'm going because I smell something good to eat. And the wild things roared their terrible roars and gnashed their terrible teeth and rolled their terrible eyes and showed their terrible claws. But Max stepped into his private boat and waved goodbye. Goodbye, 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 wild things, goodbye. And sailed back over a year and in out of weeks and through a day and into the night of his very own room where he found his supper waiting for him. So he just imagined the whole thing. And it was all just in his imagination. And that's what reading can do for you. That's why you gotta learn to read and get a book and you'll see a movie in your mind. Got it? Thank you everybody. Nice to see you. Bye bye.